we're starting off a little different today. If you, without question, recognize my voice, would you stand up? Okay, now you all can look around. I saw Clint stand up a little late there, I wasn't <laughs> sure. Okay, um, you guys can look around at each other and then go ahead and sit down. And I'm gonna make my way down here right now because Devin gave me the responsibility of talking about discerning God's leadership. And this comes, a large, uh, this comes largely after what he's talking about in regards to Shema and hearing the voice of God. Now, I'm not God. I am just Henry Gallinger. Nice to meet you. If you are a guest, welcome. We are glad you're here. And uh, I know that this is really awkward. So just give me a minute here. Yeah, there, here I am, here I am. I was up in the balcony, which is an awesome place to sit, awesome place. Um, so Devin asked me about a month ago, he said, hey, uh, I'm, I'm gonna be out, would you like to cover for me? And I said, I had two questions. I said, who else did you ask? <laughs> and I said, uh, why, why, why am I 150th on the list? No, that's just a joke, so. Um, but we've been journeying through this thing as far as uh, discerning God. Or, uh, he talked a little bit on the, on, he has the VIN, the VIN diagram that has uh, um, hearing from God. And you hear that a lot from our church and what is God saying? And, and I grew up, I've, I've come through this process of what is God saying and what are you gonna do about it? Um, but they've changed it a little bit to how are you going to respond? And today he asked me to talk about discerning God's So discerning God's leadership is like, I'm not a pro on that, but I can only share with you my personal experiences in that area. And so what I wanted to do a little bit today was just kind of dive into uh, my personal journey. And it starts with how I got here. So uh, in 2015, Shirley and I were... Um, we were attending a church uh, just in this community, and I really got unsettled. I started to feel unsettled with where I was, and it wasn't because of the people. It was just God really stirred something up in me, and I really felt like he was saying that I need to, we need to uproot and go somewhere else. And a lot, of, a lot of things come into that. Like the first question is, God, is this really you? Why in the world would you want to tear me away from people that I've built a big relationship with? And why in the world would I want to uh, leave this comfortable space that I'm in and then go somewhere else? So that this wrestle started to happen within me of, God, is that really you? Is that really you calling me into that? And so I kind of put that on the shelf and I, I set it aside and uh, uh, months go by and I'm having a conversation with Shirley and I kind of just bring it up a little bit and I come to find out that she has some very similar feelings. And it's probably getting toward the end of summer and we really feel like it's time, it's time to, to make the move. And, and so the next question was, well, when do we want to do it? And that question was, for me, was I would like to do that yesterday. 
but my wife, who is much wiser than I am, says, well, why don't we come up with this plan? So she laid out this plan for uh, we're going to stay through the holidays, and then at the end of the holidays in January, we're going to start looking for another congregation to join. So we uh, start in January, and what do you think the next question is? Where, do, where should we go? Where should we go check out? And so I say, Shirley, where should we go? And she says, well, let's go check out that place over by the high school. And I said, where? Where's that? No, that's, no, we're not going there. That actually was not even on my list. CCCOG was not on my list of places to go. It was probably the least, most uh, attractive place for me at the time. Uh, so I said, let's go here. And she said, okay. So we went there, and uh, the next week, um, seeing how I got to pick where we went that time, I said, hey, Shirley, where do you want to go? And she says, well, uh, let's go to CCCOG. And I'm like, uh, let's go there. And so we went there. And, and then week three comes around, and she says, hey, I, I say, okay. So I'm starting to feel a little guilty. So I say, Shirley, where would you like to go? And she says, CCCOG. <laughs> and I said, okay, we'll go, but I'm not going to like it. So we come in. Uh, I believe that we sit right there, right right over there. And I am making sure that I make no eye contact with anybody because if I know somebody, then I am going to talk with them. And then that means I have to stay here longer than I want to. And so... The interesting thing about that is, if you are visiting today, your experience is similar to mine. I got here, and the, the pastor was not preaching, which to me was the greatest thing in the world. I was like, I was like and I'll get to this in a minute, because it, it was actually a big deci deciding point, and I don't want to spoil it for you, how we ended up here. So... Um, but anyways, the, the, I don't even know who was, who was talking because I was that disinterested in being here. And interestingly enough, I heard not one word that the pastor said. But as we were leaving, I heard every word that God said to me. And what God said to me was, this is where you need to be. It had nothing to do with the pastor because I don't even know who the person was at the time who was preaching that day. Um, it had nothing to do with, uh, with all the people that we already knew here. It had to do with, with God making it very clear. And the ride home was a little interesting because as you can imagine on that one, there was maybe a I told you so in there. <laughs> um, and we have been here ever since. So at that particular point in time, our youngest daughter was still in high school. And so we all came here, and what I can tell you from that experience of being obedient to just simply going, it, was a, it wasn't simple. I, when I, I don't even know where that came from. It's a duck. So just uh, as simply as making a move from one congregation to another, which is not easy. It, it, it is a very difficult wrestle. Um, Coming here has been an amazing experience, and, and in the past four years, um, I can say with 100% with certainty that I have seen God move in more ways than I have in my entire life. Um, Devin LeBaron called me a couple nights ago. 
he says, hey, what's your sermon on? I said, it's on, I, it's on um, we're going to talk a little bit about Elijah. And he says, hey, can you send me my sermon, my, my sermon notes? And I laughed. And I said, that's funny. Um, I didn't. And then Danielle texts me on Thursday and says, can I have your slides? And I said, what? <laughs> so you get that? Um, and to be honest, uh, what God wanted to talk about was still being hammered out even until this morning. So before we get going anymore, let's go ahead and pray and we'll get started. God, um, you must increase and I must decrease. And you know that I'm a person who can talk. And I just pray that the people here today don't hear me, but they hear you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. So, uh, I will continue on with a little bit of my journey. Something tells me that that might have been from my daughter. Something tells me that. She bought like a 1,000 duck thing and it came in Amazon a couple weeks ago. So, (laughs) they're everywhere. Okay. Uh, I want to give you a little bit of a disclaimer. Discerning God's leadership is not always easy. What God asks of us to do is difficult for us, and it, but it is never difficult for him. And because of this, it can lead us to some extreme emotions where we have to wrestle with God. And from my experiences and from what I've seen in Scripture, these are opportunities where God calls us to grow. God calls us out to grow. So turn to 1 Kings chapter 19, and we are going to meet a gentleman named Elijah. And Elijah has just got through with what I would call a game show of my God is greater than your God. Um, for those of you unfamiliar, we're not going to touch too, ba- too much on it, but it is pretty cool. Um, I feel like it's one of those parts in the Bible that would be made into an awesome movie scene, and it would just be awesome. But basically, Elijah trash talks a bunch of prophets in, and uh, says that my God is better than your God. Here's how we're going to figure that out. I'm gonna, you guys set up an altar over there. You guys pick the cow that you want to sacrifice. And then you guys go ahead and get going. And, I'll, and he ends up giving him, them all day to try to figure it out. And then over here, once he's done, or they're not done, they just keep on going. And then over here... Um, He does the same exact thing. He builds an altar, very specific in how he builds it. He puts the sacrifice on the altar, and then he decides to not throw gas on it, but he throws a lot of water on it, and a lot of water. And, like, think about, like, February, trying to burn a pile here. That's what it was like. And then he just says, hey, God, do your thing, and God comes down, and he burns all of it to the ground, the rocks, everything, and, 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 you know, obviously that's a huge victory and you would feel really good about yourself, right? No. So in 1 Kings chapter 19, we kind of see the tail end of that experience. And what we see is that Elijah is actually afraid for his life because he has been told by the queen that he is going, she's, he's going to die within the next, if, if you're still alive by sunup tomorrow, then, then you're going to die. So we'll pick it up here. Uh, Verse 2, Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them 
by you tomorrow. So the one thing I left out, which is kind of important, is, is that at the end of all that, he captures all the prophets and then he puts them to death. So um, Jezebel's pretty upset about that because that was the God she worshiped, okay? So then what happens there is uh, he's really distraught, he's really scared, um, and we see here he says, then he was afraid and he got up and ran for his life and he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, which is a juniper tree. Uh, and he asked that he might die. So he's depressed, to say the least. Uh, it is, uh, and he asked that he might die, saying, it is enough. O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he laid down and slept under the broom tree. And behold, an angel came and touched him and said, Arise. And he, and he, and he looked, and behold, there was a head, or at his head was a cake and hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And then the Lord, the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for your journey is too great. And he rose and ate, and he did what any normal person would do in this situation, is not eat for another 40 days and go into the wilderness, right? This is a, this is a I can't put myself in this headspace. I just can't. Uh, so, you know, out of his extreme hunger, I guess he felt like a cave would be the best place to lodge. And in verse 9, it says, There he came to a cave and lodged in it, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, for me, that actually triggers a phrase that is very similar for me, and you'll find that in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve have just eaten something that they shouldn't have, and the voice of the Lord comes walking in the garden. And I always found that really odd. That's how it was said. The voice of the Lord came walking in the garden, and they went and hid and they went and hid. And, and God asks, he says, why, why, where are you? He says, where are you? And for me, I learned that for me, that is, you are not where, I'm, where I put you. It's kind of like if I lose my car keys and I knew that I put them on the island at my house and I go, where are my car keys? They're not where I left them. They're not where I left them. And so in, in Genesis, God's like, you are not where you're supposed to be. I put you here in the garden for a reason. You've been called to tend the garden so that I can be with you and fellowship with you. Here is the same thing. And nowhere in the first chapters of verse 19 did we hear God say, you need to go to a cave in Mount Sinai that's 40 days away. Nowhere. Yet here we are. And God is saying, what are you doing here? Because you should not be here. You're supposed to be somewhere else. And so he says, uh, and then he said in verse 11, or, oh, I skipped a verse. I don't want to do that. Okay, verse 10. And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I, am the only one left, and they seek my life to take it away. Now, I also find that very interesting as well, because nowhere here do we find anywhere that he's actually, who told him 
that he was the only one. Well, that reminds me of Genesis chapter 3, where they say, Why, where God says, where are you? You're not supposed to, you're not where you're supposed to be. And Adam says, we were afraid because we were naked, so we hid. And God's next question is, who told you you were naked? Because that wasn't the problem, but someone told you it was. So in Genesis, the discerning piece was, they didn't listen to what God was saying, they listened to what someone else was telling them, and all of a sudden it became a problem. So here, we have Elijah who is clearly depressed, clearly comes out of some pretty traumatic things, and, and he's done some things. And, and at some point in time, he has this feeling that there's a lot of stuff going on. Now, some of this is true, and some of this is not true, as we're going to find out here in a little bit. 1 Kings uh, 19, 11, and he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke it to pieces, the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was still a low whisper. In some versions, it says a still small voice. Still small voice. And he said, or, and when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I'm very jealous. He basically says the exact same thing verbatim. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, go return to the wilderness, return on your way from, to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael, to be king of Syria, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king of Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, Abdul Mahalo, you shall anoint to be a prophet in your place. And you, and the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death, and the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. You can do that research later. That's an, we'll avoid that rabbit trail. Uh, yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So what we learn here is, is that Elisha is actually wrong in this idea that he's alone, and God needs to tell them, tell him he's not. There are 7,000 people I have set aside that are doing the exact same thing you are doing, but you just don't see it. You just don't see it. You're alone? It's the only thing that God said was not good in the first two chapters of Genesis. It is not good that man should be alone. So let me solve that problem for you. I will give you Elisha. In all of this, God wanted to remind Elijah that there are 7,000 people that are doing his work. 
And if you are that alone and you feel this way, I got your back. I'll give you Elisha. And so he does exactly what God says because he was able to discern the leadership of God and recognize that it wasn't in the earth, wind, and fire song. Okay? He wasn't in the rocks. He wasn't in the wind. He wasn't in the fire. There was still something there. And that's been my experience is like, I, everyone, uh, I don't know if it's me. I can't imagine that it's only me. Um, but when we want this, uh, we want to hear from God, we feel like there needs to be like neon signs and arrows, and it's like very clear and obvious. And while I do not doubt for one minute that that is entirely possible, that has not been my experience. My experience has been much like my experience, or Shirley and I's shared experience of trying to find out if this was the place. It starts off with, it starts off with something inside me. And for a long time, I'd be like, it's just like God talking to me, right? But it's not like I'm having this conversation with you right now talking. It's this feeling. And for the longest time, I couldn't put it into words. But I think it's called the Holy Spirit, which lives in me, which I'm still wrestling with. Because I'm told that I'm going to be doing greater things than these, and I can't wrap my mind around that. Let's turn to Acts chapter 7. We are going to meet a gentleman named Saul. He's not important in Scripture at any point in time, right? Uh, Acts chapter 7, verse uh, 54, we're going to meet... Uh, we're going to find that Stephen has just preached this amazing message. It's convicted many, and it's really irritated, or in other words, made some people really, 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 really mad, like to the point where they want to take him out of town and take rocks and kill him. And that's what, that's what happens when you choose to be a follower of Jesus, is it can cost you something, and it will cost you something. And if you haven't had a cost yet, we should really, you should really evaluate what you're, what, if you're following Jesus correctly, because there is always a cost, always a cost. Uh, we'll pick it up in verse 54. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. You ever been that way before? My son knows I have. I've been that way a few times. But he, will, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And they cried out a loud voice to stop their ears and rushed him all together. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling on his knees, he's cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And we ha when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now, that, that portion of scripture talks a lot about Stephen, but I can't help but put myself in Saul's position. Standing there in the crowd, 
Later on, we're going to find that he's the one who like endorses these things. And I cannot help but, if, but really wonder if there is something going on internally with Saul. If God is moving in his life. And I, and I would like to, I, well, I don't know if I would, I, that's not a good word. I don't know if like is the best word to use, but in my mind, I think that knowing me, um, sometimes if I, well, I mean, we experienced it a little bit. Sometimes when you find out that that's probably the right decision to make, you want to go away from that right decision as far as possible. mind is when Paul, when we see, or when we see Saul again, when we see Saul again, we're going to go to verse, or chapter 9. So go ahead and flip over a page, unless you have really micro print and you don't have to turn at all. And what we see here is in verse, uh, Acts 9, verse 1, it says, but Saul, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. Sounds like... I feel like God is talking to Saul, but he's like, I don't want to hear it. I'm going to go and try to get as far away from you as possible. And by getting as far away from you as possible means turning the volume up and cranking up the threats and murders against disciples of the Lord. And he asked the, the high priest for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. Hmm. Have we been in Damascus today? Elisha was. So that if he found any belonging to the way, the path, the way we walk to follow Jesus, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone round about him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? He does not even recognize him. And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. The men were traveling with him and stood speechless hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by hand and brought him to Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Did Elisha eat or drink in those 40 days? Something going on here. Now I want to introduce you to a man named Ananias and then we'll be done. Now there is a disciple at Damascus and his name was Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here am I, Lord. And Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight and at the house of Judas look, look for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen a vision of a man named Ananias coming and laying his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. And Ananias is like, hmm... Are you talking about the same Saul that we all know about? He said, Lord, I've heard from many people about this man and how much evil he has done. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. 
for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, Lord Jesus, who appeared to you in the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ananias got a share in Saul's experience. And it just hit me there, even there just a minute ago, as, as I'm reading that part. He says, Brother Saul, welcome to the family. We are glad you are here. What you did yesterday, killing all those people, as hard as it is for me, I'm putting it aside. And because, and, and we would think that, oh, this is about Saul and discerning God's leadership, but clearly there took a different type of intervention here. But Ananias, that's the kind of obedience that God wants from us. Because if Ananias doesn't go and do what God says, does Saul write all those letters? Does Saul write a letter to Timothy, to Philemon? Does he write to the Thessalonians? I don't know. But it was because of his obedience and listening to God that, uh, that lives were changed. And it was because of a two-by-four that Saul's life was changed. And you have two choices. It can be easy or it can be hard. But you got to know the voice of God. Raise your hand if you guys recognize my voice when I was sitting up there in the balcony. Yeah. For most of you, I would speculate that it's because you guys know me on some intimate level, some level, some more than others. But that's the exact same thing when it comes to God. If you want to be able to discern God and see him at work, you've got to know what he, you got to know what to look for. And if you don't know what to look for, it's okay, but it'll just come a different way. And either way, my, my, my prayer for you guys is that you'd be obedient into what you hear. Let's pray. God, thank you for giving us the opportunity to come here and just see Elijah and see Saul and see Ananias at work. We just pray that you will speak uh, wisdom and words to everyone here today in regards to how to discern your voice. And if they don't know you well, I ask that they would, uh, they would do something that, um, that changes the trajectory of their life so that they can know you in a way that they have never known you before. In Jesus' name, amen.